Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. It's our 50th episode, and on such an occasion, it's a cause to celebrate. And luckily, we get to do so in the presence of an all-star. I'm excited to welcome to the show today a variable drag icon who captured the hearts of millions when she competed on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 5 and won RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 2. Outside of her stint on TV, she's an acclaimed recording artist with albums like Anus, Pound Cake, and the newly released Amethyst Journey. She's delved into the realm of horror by appearing in such films as The Quiet Room and Sharknado 6, and she's a founding member of the celebrated House of Haunt. She's a drag superstar and cultural icon. Please welcome to the show, Alaska Thunderfuck 5000. Wow. What an impressive bio. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Who is she? I love that. Well, before we dig into the show, I'm excited to know that you literally just returned from the uh, newly relaunched Wigstock celebration. How was that whole thing? Oh, my gosh. I... I've been throwing around the word life changing a lot lately, so I'm going to do it again. No, it was amazing. Like, I'm really honored I got to be a part of it. It was just incredible and crazy and a whirlwind and really special. And I assume that when you were growing up, you saw the Wigstock documentary or sure followed did. the whole thing. Because I know you're a student of drag, not just a drag icon, but a student of drag as well. So. Oh, yeah. So it must have just really been uh, kind of a full circle moment to Ugh. be there. Yeah. I mean, I can't even like just like we would watch the movie and like Jackie B and and like quote her. And then like, here we are and we're in the dressing room with Jackie B and we're doing it. And it was really, really awesome. Great. Well, I can't wait to talk more about your uh, drag roots and and your beginnings. But first, why don't we start the show off the same way I start every show with the same first question I ask every guest. And it is simply this. Why horror? And you can interpret that however you want. Uh, What's your personal relationship to the horror genre? Why do you think horror appeals to people? But uh, why horror? Oh, my goodness. I don't. Well, I mean, I first like. I was really young and I loved uh, my cousin and I would stay up late at night and watch the Halloween movies Mm -hmm. and we were not supposed to like they're really bad and it was uh, and so I don't know and then like uh, I just so I don't know it was just part of we loved Alien does that even does that count as horror? Absolutely. Okay. Like obsessed with Alien so I don't I don't know why. Why do we love it? Why do we love seeing people's like insides get all like ripped out and like bleeding and blood? Why do we love that? Well, a question that frequently comes up when I uh, talk to uh, queer creators in the horror space is there's often that kind of like connection to otherness or it's outsider cinema. And maybe we're drawn to that because of that. Yeah. Uh, And I guess I'll ask because there always seems to be, you you like to lean into spooky with your drag. Sure. So do you think there is a connection between your interest of horror in horror and, and the curation of your drag character? Like were those things begin, like was the evolution of that in parallel? I guess. Sure. I don't know. How? It's a good question. Well, thank you. That's what, <laughs> that's what we, we, we try and do here. Uh, I guess I'm just attracted to it. Like, right. I just move in that direction. Like, um, I like when stuff is, like, dirty and, like, gross and, and scary. I like, I just like it. 
So when did you think you first were drawn to that kind of material? Like you said, you were watching Halloween with your cousin Mm -hmm. and Alien. Uh, But when did you kind of like have the realization that your engagement with things that were dirty and scary and subversive was was more than just, you know, a fan engagement, but something that you wanted to maybe artistically uh, connect with? Uh, (laughs) I guess I just did it. Like it was just, it wasn't like a pre-planned or like I was thinking about it. It was just, that's like how we, where we went with it. Like right. I liked the, like the first music to have sort of a dark sound. And like I was attracted to drag because, uh, because I saw Tranny Shack in San Francisco uh, on my 22nd birthday and it was Duran Duran night and like it was you know like shit and piss and blood and like that was just part of it and like I was attracted to drag because I sort of I I studied the theater and I and I love and respect the theater so much but it was sort of like there were certain things you were not allowed to do mm-hmm. you couldn't be too gay you couldn't be too like you couldn't swear too much and so drag was sort of like it, all the doors were just open and like I was like yes like I need to do that that's that's it so I think it does go hand in hand with drag cuz drag is a little bit dangerous and scary and uh, you're allowed to do the stuff you're not allowed to do other places. So drag to you is sort of extreme gay theater. That's the that's taking what you can't do in the theater space and and elevating it. Yeah. That's interesting. Now what even like mainstream culture like in music like you're not allowed to you're not you're kind of not allowed to swear too much and like visually you're not allowed to do certain things and Mm -hmm. so it was like there's no rules in drag. Except that if you're not wearing nails, you're not doing drag. <laughs> and now, and that—that's your rule. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, now I've I've rescinded that rule because I believe they're your fingers, so it's your choice. Fair. Mm-hmm. So I am curious because uh, you go and you see Tranny Shack, which I do think there is a very. Uh, horror transgressive subversion to what they were doing at tranny shack at the time uh and you you see from that san francisco scene a lot of people spring out of that uh and and you were very engaged by this idea what is your personal definition of drag i don't i don't know i don't know it's i i like to say that drag is for everybody okay so um but I, but it's undefinable and I don't, I don't, I think you know it when you see it. Right. So I don't, I don't like giving it a strict definition or, or pinning too many rules on it. But it's like, when you know it is, when you see it, you know it. I ask because I've certainly had people on before where they, uh, you know, talk about what we traditionally think of drag, uh, where it's just sort of like gender illusion. But then we also have the idea that, like, when Robert England becomes Freddy Krueger, there's there's a drag element to that. Sure. Or Pee Wee Herman or El- well, Elvira is certainly a drag queen. So yeah. do you do you think it's more about a heightened persona than anything? And that persona can take on whatever it is you choose to bring out or... Sure. And I think that it heightens what is there. And it's sort of like that Shakespeare thing of like put on a mask and then you're going to see who that person really is. So I think all of those things are at play. So is Alaska a more 
honest version of Justin then? I don't know if it's honest, but it's certainly heightened. It's like on acid, I guess. It's like <laughs> all the levels are sort of turned up and like there's an absurdity to it. Like there's so there's so much going on and there, it's there's a level of like this is I mean, this is ridiculous because like I, I know I'm like. I think clothing is ridiculous personally. I'm like such a nudist. I think I think like I just don't want to wear clothes ever. So the the act of like putting on all this stuff is crazy to me and it calls it out. It's like what what are we all doing? What is all this? Right. Why are we putting this stuff on ourselves all the time? I think that's interesting that uh you don't like clothes in that way, but <laughs> of course Alaska is a very well-dressed creation and I, I thank God for my talented friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But is that also maybe part of the mockery? Like if you don't care for clothes, why not go to the nth degree when you put them on? Right. Yeah, I don't I don't want to wear clothes ever. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, talk to me a little bit about the creation of Alaska. uh, And I'm sure you've discussed this in different places over time. But uh, you say that you were first inspired to see drag when you saw that show in San Francisco when you were 22. Mm -hmm. But seeing is different than becoming it is different than being. So what was your trajectory from that moment to when you decided this is this is who I'm going to be? Well, it was seeing Duran Duran night in San Francisco that really like that was the like spark that was like I want to because I was living in Pittsburgh at the time and I was like, I want to go back to Pittsburgh and I want to do this. I want to do that. Right. Um, And so I did. So I started like getting my feet wet and the name came from smoking marijuana and my friends were talking about. Uh, strains of marijuana they had tried and someone had tried Alaskan Thunderfuck and I was like what like how are the what are those words even doing together like and and I wrote it down in the back of my notebook and I said that's my drag name I've never done drag but that's my drag name And so I entered a contest and I did it and I got bit by the bug and then I was like and I was broke so I was trying to make money doing it which I, which then don't <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't easy now, but I think probably then was even tougher, right? Yeah. No. Dra- drag is, you don't make money from drag. You, it takes all your money uh, and, until after a certain point you've done it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, then it was when I moved to L.A. and I felt really just like directionless and I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I thought I wanted to be an actor, except I didn't know who I was supposed to look like. Right. And so it's sort of like Alaska, like as a character sort of beamed herself into my brain and the whole, like she's an extraterrestrial from the planet Glamtron and she landed and, and now she's trying to get enough Twitter followers to get her spaceship back up and running. That's the story that sort of started as a character. So, I mean, the hard hitting question here, of course, is does Alaska have enough Twitter followers now to go back to her home planet? No, No. uh, (laughs) never enough. Never enough. Never enough. Enough. It's an insatiable need. It is. Uh, so you you started doing drag in Pittsburgh, but then you came to L.A., but then you went back to Pittsburgh, right? Yes. And is that when you uh, co-founded the House of Haunt? Well, the House of Haunt is, I mean, that's all Sharon's, like, machination. Uh, 
I met Sharon Needles and uh, I, it was sort of like a whirlwind, like romantic thing. And I was like obsessed with her and I and I moved back to Pittsburgh and we moved in together and um, we were together for four years. And in that time. She got on Drag Race and I mean, she sort of coined the term House of Haunt and called that named our house. Right. It was it was a core group of four girls and we sort of ran the shows at the Blue Moon in Pittsburgh. And so Sharon sort of like named it that. Right. Now, I was living in Pittsburgh around this time, and I remember the first time I saw you was at shows uh, at the Blue Moon uh, uh. With, with this <laughs> troop of people. And what I really uh, loved about it was, yeah, I know that you know, people tend to identify Sharon with kind of things spooky, but you all yeah. took on this aesthetic that really, I think, f- fed the, the whole idea. It wasn't a, a singular entity. You were You were all truly, like, presenting this, this subversion uh, that was not common I think to drag shows that I was seeing at the time like I think it was very revolutionary uh, yeah. especially for a city like Pittsburgh yeah and we were the outcast girls because we couldn't do pageants because we weren't I mean we weren't at that level of like having things look right right, <laughs> or be polished or beautiful uh, and we couldn't really get bookings because we were like sort of the bad girls and we like to make a mess. And we like to be, you know, kind of rough around the edges. Now, did you have issues at the time with the 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 other drag queens in the community because you were presenting more as punk rock and not what was originally like, you know, the pageant idea of what drag was? Did It, it was it was just like we were we were that. We were the out, outskirt girls. Right. The outskirt. You were the bad sisters. I don't think it was. I, sure. No, it was probably shade at a certain point. Right. Uh, but we were we like we all worked together. The community of drag in Pittsburgh was not very big. Right. But we were sort of like we were definitely looked down upon because, you know, in a lot of ways we were booger boots. <laughs> Why would he? <laughs> but what I like about it is from that group, uh, you know, Sharon gets on TV and does the drag race, and then you follow in the next season, and both of you go on to big success, and you start really defining for the world what what the Pittsburgh drag scene looks like. Sure. And so coming from uh, a city where, like, you were booger boots, as you say, but then when people think of Pittsburgh drag, they, they think of you. And I think that's really amazing. I mean, it's sort of like divine coming from Baltimore and being, you know, the face of it. So there's got to be something really fulfilling about that to know that, uh, you were, you were kind of the, the outskirts girls, as you say, but like now you're sort of definitive. And well, I mean, that really comes down to like the people who supported us. And that was the people who came to the blue moon. It was like queer kids and punk kids and, uh, like, the Blue Moon never had a cover charge, so it was really for everybody. And they, the tagline is, it's everybody's bar. And it still is. And Andy, who worked at the Blue Moon and ran it, at, like, they gave us a chance and they said, okay, we're not charging a door. Here's $200 to split between you girls. Which is like, that's not done. It's like, you girls make the money up front and that's that. So he really took a chance with us. And some nights, you know, five people would be in the audience. But um, we still got to, like, go there and do it. So 
um, it's really it comes down to like the community and they were really supportive. Do you think with that flexibility, though, it allowed you an opportunity to test waters that you may not have oh, otherwise yes. done? Yes. And we saw what worked. We saw what didn't work so much. But I, like, that's great. That's learning. And from that era, are there any outstanding moments that like stick out above others that you remember? You know, like maybe I just spilled tea all over myself. It was uh, we're spilling tea. We truly are. I saw it happen. <laughs> I was just like, I won't say anything if she won't. No, but I don't mind. I love spilling tea. We are we are all too real here on Dead for Filth. The, uh, the <laughs> <laughs> we at a certain point um, were like the budget peaches Christ productions in Pittsburgh, right? Because we did like. Um, I won't even say scripted, but we did shows with a with a through line with a plot. Um, once we did um, Golden Girls Interrupted, which was like the Golden Girls moved into Shady Pines, and then everyone started getting murdered. Um, we did a show called The Bible, and it was just like everyone did it. Like we told the story of the Bible, and at the end, I was like G- cyberspace Jesus, like fighting. I was like riding on someone's shoulders, and this feels right. It, yeah. it, it did. It was. <laughs> Yeah, we got to do cool stuff. Yeah, I remember a, a, a number of shows that I did, one of which all, that sticks in my mind always uh, was the Bath Salts Cabaret that you did. Oh, right. That was a good one. Yeah, you um, <laughs> you went through quite a transformation in that show. Uh, there was, yeah. I, I'm sure that I still have a bloodstained shirt somewhere from being in the audience of that one. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, but that's what I want when I go uh, out into the world. So. Right. Uh. No, and I love that because I think probably in a way that flexibility and that versatility of testing what worked probably helped you when you ended up on RuPaul's Drag Race because you had tried many different things. Sure. Whereas, you know, some people kind of have a shtick and that's what they do. Right. Um, And one of the things that I think uh, instantly drew people to you is that although you are always 100% authentically yourself, you are also very versatile in being yourself. And uh, would you say that's like a very important aspect of being Alaska? Sure. I like doing everything, a little bit of everything. So, yeah. So I love that. And again, it's that thing. It's like drag. It's like you don't have to choose one avenue. You can do music and you can design your T-shirt and you can act and uh, you get to do all this stuff. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the music because you just had a new album come out. Yeah. And you have recorded uh, several albums over the last few years, uh, all of which have done commercially really well. Were you uh, interested always in making music? Was that something that was... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had music out well before Drag Race. I remember uh, there was a there was a track. I'm trying to remember the track where you named a lot of drag queens. Within- yes, it's um, it has a title that I'm not allowed to say anymore. So times have changed. Right, we love personal growth. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, but it's a. It, I mean, I'm really proud of it. And the music I stole from uh, that song, "Danger, Danger," da 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 da. It has this long instrumental break in the middle of the song. Mm-hmm. And so I just, ch- I, I cut the instrumental part 
and looped it a bunch of times and made myself a track. And that's the that was the music for it. Now, and so talk to me a little bit about that process, because clearly it requires a lot of knowledge of of tracks and music and things. Did you study music at some point that you were able to integrate this into your drag? Or is this just stuff that you picked up along the way? Again, the trial and error process. Well, it was like I took filmmaking classes in college. So it probably came from like out of that. And like I was making cartoons when I was when I was in college, too. And um, so you sort of have to like cut music together a little bit too so I dabbled I changed the speed of Britney Spears I'm a slave for you just for fun so her voice was deeper like so just like experimenting uh so yeah I guess I guess I had a knowledge of it interesting I love the idea of uh the knowledge of of cutting music came from working on film. I didn't know that you went yeah. to film school. So you had at some point well, uh, film classes. Film classes. I really good at, you know. But was that a goal of yours at some point to be a filmmaker that you wanted to make your own movies? I always liked it. I always felt I I mean, I still do. Mm-hmm. I really do like it and I'm very hands-on with, like, when it comes to music videos and stuff. I'm like, no, like, this cut has to be here, not a half a second later. Like, and we need this sound effect. Like, very, like, I don't know. I like it. Would uh, you ever direct a film? Is that something that is... is Sure! In your box of tricks? Sure, I would love to. Yeah, I love that. I, th- you know, because one of the things when we were looking at the 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 resume, and I was listing some of the things that you've done. You've done so much. Uh, you've made music. You uh, have been in films. You've done stage shows. Uh, you have created this whole drag empire for yourself. And I'm curious, what have you not done that you want to do, or what's something that's still on the periphery that you're you're aiming for that you would like to achieve? I want to write a book. I love writing. I've written some of it. I want to like do a movie. So whether mm-hmm. that means I don't, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know the first thing about directing as far as like doing it, but right. I want to like make a movie. Well, so the book, the movie, the book, the movie, the made for TV movie. I love a good made for TV movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like is probably a good segue into asking about some of your recent acting. Right. Speaking of made-for-TV movies. Yeah. Uh, you recently have done some acting in a couple different genre projects. Uh, one that just aired on television, the sixth mm-hmm. and final installment of the Sharknado franchise. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. You uh, you got some really awesome shark fighting action going on there. It was the coolest thing I've ever done. And I've gotten to do a lot of cool things because of this insane, like, drag life that I've been given because of Drag Race. Right. It, we, we shot in Romania in the winter. We got in the car, and Marina Sirtis was in the car with us. And Counselor Troy. We didn't know who she was at first because it was dark, and, like, we were just, like, we thought, okay, she's, like, obviously going to the set or whatever. And we were talking, and she was like, yes, I'm... 
I'm Greek, but I grew up in England. And my friend Jeremy who was with me was like, oh, like Deanna Troy. And she was like, that's me. <laughs> I'm her. And we were like, <gasps> what? It was co- it was so cool. And I got to sword fight and like we were in a fake castle set. And it was like it was really like the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do. Because for people who maybe didn't catch it when it aired, I, the premise of this one is that they actually travel through time with the sharks. Yeah. And you are in like King Arthur times. Yeah. Like Camelot. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Excalibur and those sorts of things. Right. Which of course, you know, makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah why yeah. not? Uh, and no, it was really wonderful to see, and uh, you just are so ferocious watching, seeing in the movie, and I love to hear that it was a good experience. Uh, and, it was really cool. Uh, I, I do want to say, because I know this about you, um, and you had mentioned it on a panel when we were, uh, we did a queer horror panel together at Midsummer Scream a couple of months ago, or a month ago, uh, that you are a Star Trek fan. Yeah. Like, I'm not a Trekkie. I'm not, like, that knowledgeable, but I'm a huge admirer, and I love The Next Generation a lot. I love uh, I love that you were in a car with her, though, and got <sighs> to have, like, a nerd moment. We, oh, my gosh. She's fierce. She's ferocious. She seems like it. I, she puts up with no bullshit. She's gorgeous. She's amazing. My kind of gal. Uh, yeah. And then you also recently were in a short film that's really tearing up the festival circuit right now. It's a horror short that was directed by prior guest Sam Weinman. Uh, it's yeah. called The Quiet Room, where you play uh, sort of this demonic entity, uh, Patty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's such a brilliant short, and it's such a really wonderful performance from you. Like, I think that you embody just this, like, very creepy darkness. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about the the involvement there? Uh, because it's a very queer short as well. well. Yeah, which I liked. And it's really good. We got to watch it at... Um at Midsummer Scream. Was that the first time you had seen it? I watched it like on my laptop with like the viewer link or whatever, but it's really not the same as like watching it in a room with people in the dark. Like right. it was really good and um really cool. Um it was oh my god. I we shot it like in an abandoned pet hospital and there was no heat and like it was like the two coldest days in LA. <laughs> I was running around naked, soaking wet with like goo. They just kept piling goo on me. So like it was easy to channel like a demon from hell. Right. Because I was I was feeling like that. And you uh, you got to be in it with your Drag Race uh, alum, Katya. Yeah. Who uh, is there as a boy. Yeah, uh, he's very compelling. He is. I, you know what, yeah. I, I think everybody is so well cast in it. And it's, yeah. it's a really wonderful um, piece. And I think that it uh, is... It, it, it's sort of a testament to to Sam and what he does, and, and the idea that he was able to use what we sort of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, the idea of how horror and queer identity can sort of be used as as a catharsis for one another. Uh, yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of purging of demons, for lack of a better term, that happens when you watch that. Like you, at least that was my take of it. Yeah, totally. Uh, the thing I really like about Hattie, though, is she seems like a very classic screen monster. Yeah. Would you return to play her? 
Of course. <laughs> yes. And I want to play. I I wasn't in the demon mask. Like, uh, so like when she like evolves into like the huge crazy demon thing. Right. So like next time I want to do, I want to do every iteration of her. That's great. Well, I know that, you know, maybe uh, there is a quiet room feature somewhere in the world. Who, who knows? Fingers crossed. <laughs> who knows? That'd be fierce. I would. I want I want the world to see you uh, get your monster on. I, I mean, want all the space heaters, though. We had all. <laughs> I swear they, they got me so many space heaters and God bless them. God bless everybody who worked on that movie. Well, I love the idea that it was shot in an abandoned pet hospital. It was. I mean, that yeah. sounds creepy to me. It was. It was the full horror experience. It was real. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let alone an abandoned hospital, but there's something like about the added abandoned pet hospital, like the ghosts of like mm-hmm. puppies and hamsters and things. It was all there. Uh, oh god. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I feel like I've been hopping all over the place with this this interview, but it's sort of uh, befitting because it's just sort of like there's so much going on. You have so much uh, in your career, uh, and I do want to kind of cycle back to uh, the albums because we were talking about it, the making of the music, and uh, your new album just came out, Amethyst Journey, which you uh, made with uh, your friend Jeremy. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that because it's a lot different than from some of the other work that you've done in, musically. Yeah. And what was uh, what was the impetus for the show? shift in style and uh what uh where are you going with that oh it is totally different it's like alaska music is sativa and this album is indica so this <laughs> is like you don't this isn't like i'm getting turned up and going to the club music it's very like i'm like having a night in and i'm smoking a joint and i'm putting it in my ears and just like um it's like that um but we've we, Jeremy and I have been making music together like since we've known each other. So we were like, we should probably like go in a studio and record some music. And we went out into the woods in the Russian River Valley, Casadero, which is like two hours outside of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, we listened to the river and we listened to the woods and we brought the piano and we... Uh, brought some crystals and we wrote this uh, music what i really like is uh how you are always kind of stretching yourself artistically and um you know you said that a lot of these opportunities came about from drag race and we've sort of yeah. been skirting around it a little bit because i wanted to talk a little bit more about uh you know the personal projects but uh this whole thing, this this life changing journey from a TV show, that yeah. of course literally changed the, the the course of your life. I assume. Yeah. Uh, as a drag queen, you said yeah, we we said how you know you don't do drag to make money, and right. even even around season five, you did the show because you loved the show and you were a supporter of the fan. I've read interviews where you say that you are the, sh- the, the show's biggest fan, and I, I believe that. Yeah, I still kind of. And uh, I, but could you have ever predicted the trajectory, the idea that, you know, at some point there would be a convention and a hundred thousand people would show up to the LA convention center, mostly moms and their daughters. Yeah. Uh, So I'm interested 
to hear what your thoughts are on the evolution of drag and how the TV show has changed that because you have been on both sides of it. You've been there where you've been in the bar where it was like for punk kids and you're curating your drag identity on the street and, in, in, and like on the scene and now there are people who are becoming drag queens because they've seen them on television. And what's, yeah. what's it like experiencing that shift and being a key part of it? I don't know. I mean, it's crazy. And uh, I mean, I'm grateful every single day that it happened when it did and how it did. And like, I just, I sort of can't believe it. And I don't even like, I don't understand it. And it's like a, a really special moment in time that we're all seeing. I mean, it's like Star Trek with like the Trekkies and the conventions. Like it's, it's a huge cultural phenomenon. Right. And, uh, it's great. Like I, I'm really glad I get to be a part of it because I love the show and I think it's extremely important. And like, the more people who get to see it, that's good. It's a good thing. And you grew up in a small town, mm-hmm. Erie, Pennsylvania. Shout out to Erie. Anything. Eight one four. Also, Erie is a town uh, thusly named that we appreciate here on the show. Erie, like Erie, Indiana, <laughs> except only with one e. Right? Did you watch Erie, Indiana? <laughs> we we lived in Erie, so we were like, "This is it, real." Like I, we didn't watch it. We were like, "Whatever." They spelled it wrong. Like, Meh. oh my god, I love that the f- people of Erie, <laughs> Pennsylvania, took a stand against Erie, Indiana. Well, no, like we were kids. We were just like, no. No, that's not no that's not how eerie is at all <laughs> right we didn't watch it well that's fair you you were striving for authenticity in your in, <laughs> always in, in your creepy small town situation yeah uh creepy eerie indiana not creepy eerie pennsylvania um i wonder though because you know growing up as a queer kid in a small town uh it's not always easy yeah. And uh, I'm sure you certainly have stories and, and the, the struggles of, of what that entails. And have you even seen like the people that maybe were resistant to queerness that you grew up with or in the community that you grew up with, how that tide has changed now that drag is more part of the public consciousness? Uh, sure. I mean, when I was first starting to do it, there, it was just sort of like, what? what are you doing? Like, what are you doing out there in LA? Like, and so like my mom was scared. She was worried about me because like, what, like, what are you like, are you like a prostitute? Are you on drugs? Like, and a little, (laughs) a little, but not, not that much, but it was, it's just like weird. And you, you see like just what you see on social media and you're like, what, like, what is, what are you doing? So she was worried about me, but then like drag race happened and she, she watched the show and my family watched the show. So it's in a lot of ways, it's like educational and it teaches people like what it's all about, what drag is all about. So, um, it's a little less like, uh, Oh God, what the fuck are you doing? It's more like, Oh, I, I kind of understand. This is like a thing. It's interesting how something being on TV can change the course of the conversation, despite the oh, fact yeah. that it's been there all along. Of course, you know, you can actively ignore probably drag if you're living in Omaha, Nebraska and don't want to see it. But all of a sudden when right. it's on VH1, there's an awareness now that 
they they didn't have before. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm really interested by that. But there's also kind of the the backlash discussion of when uh, the show has hit this height of popularity. Like every year, it's more popular than it was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are sometimes naysayers who are like, "Oh, well, drag's mainstream now." Or you know, but what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like there are still parts of the world where drag is very niche, and I think the show is more needed than ever. Yeah, and I, I mean, we we live in a drag bubble. At least I do, and I'm like, in the most of the circles I'm in, drag isn't dangerous or scary or weird. It's just like normal. You go to right. drag con, it's like everyone's in drag, and no one, no one bats an eyelash at it. But. I love doing events where I'm thrust into like this place where drag has never been or does not belong. So like those there and believe me, there's plenty of frontier out there where that's still the case where it's really dangerous to be in drag and it's it's people question and they scratch their heads and they get mad and they get fired up about it. Like we have plenty of frontier left. So like for as, for as popular as the show has gotten, which I think that's a good thing. Uh, and it's not ubiquitous and it's not like, it's still, um, we still have a long way we can go. Well, and speaking of that frontier, I mean, you were out there so frequently. We talked about how you just got back from Wigstock, which is just one of many travel stops that you made in the last month, let alone the last year. You're always on the road. You're always touring to different places. Um, What are some of the more interesting encounters that you've had out there in the world? I went to um, India. We did shows in India and drag is new in India because it's been like illegal for so long and it's it's still like technically illegal to be gay and so uh Keshav Keshav Suri who uh inherited this hotel chain he allows he opened the hotel bar as a performance space and like a drag space so now it's like when we went there it was like Queens had been just starting drag and they've been doing it for a few months and that's they're like the first drag queens in India and it's like that's like so thrilling and exciting to me that like there's like it, it was it was really exciting to see what I think is cool about that is the idea that um and it's something I suppose we've always known when you look at the history of queer movements and queer radicalism. Drag queens tend to be the first ambassadors. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's interesting because a lot of times, you know, I think the heteronormative narrative is that we just want the things that straight people have, which isn't necessarily true. Right. And so, like, why then do you suspect that the first people to kick in the door are the things that are the, or the people who are the, the farthest from what that vision is? If, if that's, uh, if that's the narrative that is being sold. Right. I mean, drag Queens are like powerful and they're, they're loud. Right. And they, they naturally draw attention to themselves. So I guess that makes them sort of natural ambassadors. Yeah. I like the idea of drag queen as queer ambassador. And I think there's something, uh, 
groundbreaking and historical that you get to go to places like India and see drag kind of the, the seeds of drag planted. Yeah. Because I think you're right. There is something to be said. You talked about living in a drag bubble where uh, nothing's weird and nothing is uh, dangerous anymore. But I think it's probably a healthy reminder to go places where it is still kind of dangerous because it, yeah. it reminds you the spirit of it all. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the biggest like difference is when I started, it was like, it was always, you were taking your life into your hands going out and drag are you kidding like oh my god like taking the bus or even like walking from the parking lot to the bar we like we would get in fights we would get cat called we would have things thrown at us like and now it's like now it's way different i think the world is different and i i hopefully more of america is like oh we have bigger fish to fry than like someone wearing (laughs) girls clothes (laughs) we have like bigger issues that's I think the bigger change. Right. Also, drag is more visible, like you said. And I'm curious because, you know, one of the things about drag and what you said about uh, it, it pushing boundaries. And when you live in a drag bubble, the idea that things don't seem quite as dangerous or, or weird. Uh, what to you is dangerous and weird? What, what is out there pushing the boundary? Is there is there a new underground I don't know. Is there? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm just always curious because it seems to be that when people complain, uh, and it is usually just internet complainers, about things that they considered to be underground or niche or, you know, part of a specific community kind of breaking out to the visibility. Uh, And in the case of drag, I think the visibility is good, but uh, that that something is lost, whereas I think only things can be gained from drag gaining visibility. But there is something I think to be said about from an underground, because drag does kind of come from the, the, the punk gay underground, there will be a new underground. And I'm just kind of always wondering, what's the next thing? Or is it just going to be more radical drag? Does the advent on drag on television mean that we're going to get even crazier underground drag? And maybe that's, maybe that's it. Maybe. That could be. Or, I don't know. I mean, I think that... I think that it's good when when things are brought out into the light, you know? And so I hope that that means that gender expression is going to become more just like sort of fluid and not such a this or that. And I think drag is chipping away at that wall, Mm -hmm. you know, greatly like seeing just having a TV show where like it's a bunch of dudes and they're calling each other. She that's, I mean, that's like breaking down some really strong bricks that are in the wall of like that gender binary thing. Right. So, um, I hope that that gets broken down. I hope that, you know, I hope that people start realizing that some women have dicks and some men have vaginas and like, that's okay. And, uh, I, uh, um, yeah. So I hope that those things are, I don't want them to be underground. I want them to be like out in the light because it applies to everybody. Some men like getting fucked in the ass. So why should that be in secret? Why should that be like straight men, you know, like, right. Uh, so I I don't think it should be underground. I think it should be brought into the light. 
What I think is is interesting is the idea that drag helps push that conversation. Be- sure. Because like you're saying, it uh, forces people to look at gender, gender presentation and gender nonconformity in new ways or maybe engage with it for the first time because they, they've never had to think about it. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I guess that then I would have to ask, because of course we know it's pushing boundaries and forcing conversations with straight people. But I think there's a, a massive education that's going on in the queer community that comes from it. Because even yeah. we see on Drag Race when sometimes things happen or if there's like a debate about uh, how trans issues have been handled on the show yeah. or race issues have been handled on the show. Uh, I think it really helps us start a bigger conversation within our community. And I, th- yeah. I really think that's important, too. Yeah, definitely. And, and I know that you uh, you often probably get asked on these issues, but it's it's it seems very important to you to to keep pressing the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And it's a conversation that's happening uh, really rapidly. Right. Like, so it's it's all so fast, and like with the internet, everything is instantaneous. So like someone someone uh, m- uses the wrong word or misspeaks, and like. And we're able to all have a conversation about it right then and there. Right. So, like, I don't I don't think we should automatically go to outrage because I don't know how useful outrage is. It's useful for, like, people who profit off of us clicking and uh, sharing. Like, outrage is hugely marketable for them. But... I, it doesn't move the conversation forward. Like, if we're able to, like, listen and be, like, like kind and compassionate right. while being like fair to one another. I think that's, I think that's good. So I have to ask about the social media thing because I, I know, especially when you are a drag race queen, the internet can be very, uh, passionate. Let's, let's sure. say, um, but you, you think that by and large, it can still be used as a mechanism for good because I, is that true? Uh, when it's used properly. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, I prefer to be in a room with somebody. Of course. Or to hear the voice for real, because when it's a screen and it's typing, you can put whatever internalized thing you have on any, on any written statement. And it's easy to dehumanize somebody and to and so you say things about them you would never ever say to a real person so like it's so i don't even do that i don't do that my fingers i don't even type i i don't do that i i promote stuff that i'm wanting to share with the world right uh but it's not my internal dialogue shouted into the ether and i don't i don't think that should be i i don't i think that we can like speak to each other in real life well, I think the danger, and I've, I don't know that I've ever directly talked about this on the show, because we have some very dedicated listeners on Dead for Filth, and I'm, I'm sure this happens to you quite frequently, where people just feel sort of uh, the agency to ask you personal questions because they feel like they know you, because they've seen you on television or uh, interacted with you in, in such a way. Uh, but for me, I, I don't always engage with certain kinds of questions, because it's, it's like letting the vampire into your house. Once you okay. once you yeah. let them in, come on, horror! Yes. Yeah, they feel like they can always 
go there. Yeah. And I think that like it's a it's good to exist in the space and use it as a mechanism for good, like you said. But it does require some curation. Like I think that we do lead our own discussions. If we engage in vitriol, we're gonna get vitriol back. Yeah. Um I mean, of course there will always be unprompted like trolling, but it's, I guess, how you uh, choose to engage with it. I just think it must be very daunting for uh, a lot of people on, like, on Drag Race. You have such intense followings. I don't know how you look at your mentions sometimes and not just be like, ugh. Um, uh, well, I don't look at comments. Honestly, the I best just way to don't. Do it, right? I stopped at a certain point because I was like, Kim Kardashian doesn't look at comments and Madonna doesn't look at comments. So uh, I I follow their example. I follow Madonna's example. Right. I mean, would that we all followed the example of Madonna Louise Chacon. Uh, but really, and if you, it's like exactly what you said. If you if you engage in it, then if you go and deep dive into Reddit or wherever, and you go down, scroll down the comments looking for the bad ones. So you can clap back. It's like, then you're engaging it. So, right. so that's going to be get more of that kind of engagement. And I just don't see it. I don't touch it. I don't look right. at it. I don't need to. Well, it's sort of like picking a scab, right? Because you'll never, <laughs> you'll never contain it. Like that you think it's satisfying, but then it's just going to bleed and there's going to be more shit. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the thing that I think is most interesting watching the internet engagement on that way where it's like, yeah, okay, you're going to clap back, but are you going to clap back to everybody? It's never going to happen. And then you just wasted a whole fucking ton of time. Yeah. You could have been doing something awesome or creative or. And know. I, and I realized that when I used to look at comments, it was it it's exactly like you said it's not a good use of my time because right. it made me not feel good and it achieved nothing it didn't make me like more productive it didn't it was a waste of my time and it just made me feel like shit for a brief period of time so like that's not you know that's not helpful to no. anybody and i think that you you made a very strong point is the idea that on the internet you can curate a persona or you can hide behind a screen and in words so people can even present whatever version of themselves they want to and we tend to forget that people are multi-dimensional we have fallible moments mm-hmm. uh, but that is not the whole of who we are and i think that's probably the hardest thing about being on a reality show is you have like one bad week and people give you shit forever for it <laughs> yeah uh but I think it's up to you first to choose, no, that's, you know, I had a bad week. You're going to have a bad week. Everyone's going to have a bad week at some point. So let's hold ourselves to a better standard. Yeah. Uh, Look at us just solving the internet. And may all your bad weeks not have a camera crew around when they happen. (laughs) That's my blessing for everyone. (laughs) Truly a blessing. Though, I mean, having been somewhere uh, where you have had stressful times in front of a camera, does it really kind of force you to reevaluate how you deal with life in general? Like, do you like I'm sure that you watch back and think, okay, I wish I had done this different or I wish I had done this better. or Like I was doing this this week. But how does being under that microscope change your private life when do you do you find you're a lot more centered because you've actually bore witness to what other people see well it was like it was i went through the cleansing fire i right. really did because and like looking back at it now i 
I mean, it was a really difficult time, but I'm also really grateful that it happened because it sort of absolved me of thinking that 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 stuff online is real because because days before that episode aired, it was nothing but love and light and support. And then the day after it was you're a snake, you're a monster, you're like the worst person on earth. And so like seeing that it was like, well, it's not, it's not one or the other. And so like all that tickety tackety tickety tackety online is not real and it's not who you are. And so like if you're identifying with that and you think that is who you are, then when it sort of shatters, you're going to feel terrible. But then you come out the other side and you're like, well, it, it wasn't real. That's not who I actually am. Who I actually am is the person right here and with my feet on the ground. And I think that you handled it really well, just watching the landscape of social media. And the and for listeners who maybe are more into the horror side of things and uh, learning about Drag Race for the first time, Alaska had a particularly trying episode in All Stars Two, uh, <laughs> where it was just not a good week for you. Uh, and it was a bad way. Yeah, but I think that's okay. You know what? I, I really, uh, I think that. To me, and I'm not just saying this because I know you uh, and like we've interacted. It's more so I I like seeing that you are a human being because I think that a lot of people go on television with the knowledge like I'm on TV and I'm going to curate a personality. And I get like drag is a personality curation anyway, but we never really know somebody if they're always guarded and you chose to go on and be yourself and sometimes that is warts and all and I I just thought that was more honest and what I really liked is uh, when the internet decided to to, uh, point at you and say she's a snake you embraced that imagery <laughs> and like bringing it back to uh to the horror of it all like you kind of walked afterwards i saw you with the snakes and utilizing the snake emoji and it's like yes i am i am a monster if i'm I, the queen of snakes yeah if i choose yeah. to be and that was the best way to handle it because you laughed at yourself yeah and how can people be mad at you or laugh at you when you're joining them right And so I think that it was really, uh, it was something that was probably a moment that was difficult for you at the time, but I think was a lesson for all people uh, watching that you are a human being and uh, you're allowed that moment. And you're allowed to be a snake if you fucking want to be a snake. (laughs) (laughs) It is a competition. The villains are always more fun to play anyway. So like, I'm I'm so grateful now that there's like that element to Alaska that like she's this evil fucking bitch. Like, I, I like that. I mean, that's not who I am, but now the character has that facet to her. And like, it's always more fun to play the villain than it is to play like the nice. And it, which is a good segue into a question. At the beginning of the show, uh, we talked about the idea of how Alaska, in her way, is a heightened version of Justin. Sure. But how is Alaska different from Justin? Um. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Alaska really loves, like, attention and... Um, uh, and I kind of, I kind of don't. I'm sort of like, I'm sort of just, I like, uh, I like alone time and I like quiet time and I like time with my people I'm close with. And, um, but, but Alaska's very like, 
she she loves attention. Well, so maybe it's like being a Pisces because it's the two fish and they go in the opposite direction. <laughs> so we're the two fish. And sometimes fishy. Oh, yes. That's just the smell, though. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything. But. <laughs> uh so one of the things I like to ask people uh, who come on the show, because we do uh, kind of connect back to the world of horror and queer identity, and uh, I, I, I've spent much of this episode just sort of talking about identity in Alaska and the journey you've been on as an artist in different places. Um, but one of the things I really like to kind of cycle back to is talk about the art that inspires you. What have you seen recently that you really like? Uh, what have you heard recently that you really like? Uh, and how is it informing you as an artist? Um, uh, I, I, this, I don't think this is a secret, but I'm obsessed with Whitney Houston. Like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> I, I actually didn't know that. You didn't so, know, you know that. no. I'm obsessed with Whitney Houston. I just started following this Instagram called The Legacy of Whitney Houston. And they find these really rare clips of her just like just killing it on stage. And um, I, I've seen the documentaries and um, I have a giant poster of her framed and she like she watches me. Um, <laughs> I, I love her. <laughs> so uh, do you have a favorite Whitney Houston movie? Um, uh, I mean, uh, the, I mean, the bodyguard is, is there, is that, that, that it is one. kind of the go-to, I guess. I, yeah. I, although I do think, uh, her is the fairy godmother in that Cinderella thing where she and Brandy are just like impossible diva it down. <laughs> it was probably a very pivotal, uh, gay television moment for me. Uh, oh yes, of course. It was just like, and you can see Whitney, like I'm a sing everyone down. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, The Bodyguard is great. How about film? What films have you seen recently that you like? I, and this is not, we saw Alpha last night, but I, f I slept through the entire thing. It was a really, I, no, the movie was fantastic, but it was like, <laughs> I, I didn't realize I was as jet lagged as I was. Right. And I was like, yes, let's go to a movie. Let's go to dinner. Let's have a movie. And like we did. And like, I don't. I don't know if it was like because I had two margaritas and I and I had a Zyrtec for my allergies and like I was out like a light the whole to deep sleep but it was a great nap. You um, don't snore, do you? I I hope I was that, and I hope that I got nudged if I was. But no, like like uh, my friends I was with said the movie was so amazing and they were like crying and like it emotionally moved them and I was just like mouth wide open uh snoring um what else what other movies have I seen gosh I'm like a I'm like a goldfish I'm like oh I saw I I saw a theater recently I saw Head Over Heels the Go-Go's musical yes yeah how was that it was really fantastic Peppermint is amazing um and I discovered some like Go-Go's music that I didn't even know about that I kind of like there's a song called Here You Are and it's like oh my god like I really liked it. It's been stuck in my head all day on a loop. 
Yeah, I've heard great things about the show. I'm a very big Go-Go's fan. Uh, yeah. I always liked them. Uh, I also remember uh, hearing just like what bad girls they were on tour, which of course made me love them more. That's um, cool. Yeah, we, we love a naughty girl, especially like when the music's like light and bubbly and fun. And then like you read in like rock and roll journals about how they kept like a book of Polaroids of like uh, groupies dicks. <laughs> like, Good. They deserve that. Yeah. They deserve to act that way. Well, it's a good turnaround. Like, you know, you hear all these like it's tales of bad behavior of bands on the road in the 80s like it's all like yeah. the, the boys but like good for the girls it's about fucking time that's fierce uh love that um so i've just been really enjoying just talking about you know your your connection to drag and the queer community and i do know that this show is technically about the connection to horror uh but i think that we are always just so invested in discussing different facets of queer creation that uh, it was important to just go down that road with you. Uh, but just for uh, fun, before we head out, um, I'm, I have to ask, do you have uh, any favorite horror movies? And uh, who's your favorite horror villain? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I mean, one I saw recently that I really enjoyed was A Quiet Place. And I loved how, like, in the theater, I w- it, you're like, you don't want to move or like I I was like so scared my phone was going to vibrate because the movie is so quiet the whole right. time. Like I was like, I didn't want to move. Um, so that's like a recent one I, I really enjoyed watching um, of like all time. Sure. I love Scream because it's so like campy. It's like so I and I was like an adolescent when that came out and it was sort of like it was sort of like making fun of horror movies, but it was also a really good horror movie, which is like very drag to me. It is. It's because it's layered. It's sort of, uh, it's it's satire, but earnest. Yeah. Is drag satire, but earnest? Oh, drag is extremely serious, <laughs> but it's also like really funny and absurd. Right. I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, no, I, what's funny is I recently rewatched Scream. I showed a friend who had never seen it before. And it's so fascinating to watch someone watch it for the first time now, 20 years wow. later. Because when uh, it came out in 96, uh, it was like nothing looked like that. No movie. Like we knew it was making fun of horror movies, but it was so slick and kind yeah. of like unnerving. And now when you've got 20 years later of uh, people stealing from it, like, you know, wholesale. It's sort of a whole different world, um, which I'm probably as sure, like, that's probably how uh, Jackie Beat feels. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, she's been on the show. If she's listening, I, we love you, Jackie. Um, but uh, I, yeah, one thing that was really sticking in my mind when I watched it recently is that chunky, layered, blonde situation that's going on with Courtney Cox that was very big in the 90s where people oh just have, like, blonde God. streaks in their hair. Like, I love your streaks, Gail. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she had a hair journey over the course of that franchise. Oh, yeah. Um, Gail Weathers. Gail Weathers. <laughs> Talk about a drag name. It's so good. Oh, uh, favorite, favorite horror villain? Oh, I mean, Elvira's not a villain, but I just love her. She She's is so cool. Pretty perfect, though. And really, really smart and like... Just really good, and I admire her a lot. But she doesn't count as a villain. Um, I, um, I, I like Michael Myers. 
Yeah, just t- back taking it all the way back to watching Halloween as a kid. Huh? Isn't the mask uh, like a Harrison Ford mask? It's that- William Shatner. Oh, William Shatner. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's cool to me. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> He's very DIY. He's like, I just had this lying around and I'm going to paint it and then let's go. Well, I, you know, I think there's depth to Michael Myers that no one ever talks about. The fact that one, he went and got this like dime store Captain Kirk mask, painted it white because clearly he That's had to. Crafty. That is crafty. I mean, he learned to drive, and no one taught him how. Uh, <laughs> he's a great race walker. Like he's a really fast walker. Exactly. I mean, like I like a resourceful lady, and he's really bringing it to the table. I guess uh, I'm looking forward to the new one. Uh, Oh, there's a new one? Yeah, a new Is Hall- Jamie Lee attached? She is. <gasps> oh, I love her. Oh, my God. I got to tell Alaska on my show that there's a new Halloween. Yeah, coming out. When? October. Uh, it is uh, <gasps> October 2018 this year, Halloween 40. It's not called Halloween 40, but it will be 40 years since the original. So. Oh, my God. And it's Jamie Lee. Uh, Judy Greer is in it. Um, oh. It's uh, it's one one final Halloween back. That's really exciting. Yeah, it's uh, we're all looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's good. Michael Myers is a great choice, uh, and I <laughs> never even thought about the DIY of the mask. That's amazing. Uh, before we head off into the night, I would like to ask because, as we know, Alaska is from another planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested now that she has spent some time here uh, amongst the the strange people of Earth. Uh, what is uh, Alaska's observation on this little planet of ours? What What is an overall sense of of this planet Earth? Well, um, it's severely fucked up, but it's not without hope. I think that's the best of all possible answers. Yeah. Alaska, thank you for joining us for our wildly erratic and fun 50th uh, episode. We're the 50th. Yay. Halloween 40. Halloween 40, 50 death of filth. I <laughs> yes. mean, we're all here for round numbers. Uh, where thank can, you. Where um, can people find you? Um, uh, well, um, alaskathunderfuck.com is my website, so you can find out where I'm going to be. And you can follow me on Instagram at the only Alaska five thousand or Alaska five thousand on Twitter. I do want to say uh, before we go, one thing that I was looking at when I was preparing for the episode, I was looking at some news articles. Is your impact has is such that major publications uh, are printing just the word "fuck" in their headlines in your in Aww. the course of your la- in the course of your last name? Because it used to be, I remember they put an asterisk or put a V in oh, there. Oh, there's always any variety of uh, avoiding it. Have you seen? I'm sure you've seen many different like attempts to like avoid doing the full name. Is that sure? But I say go for it. We're making progress with language. Yeah, let's just, let's fuck it up. Yeah. Alaska, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti. Uh, Yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. <laughs>